Wake up in the morning, make you two sloppy eggs. Find a piece of cheese and put it on some bread. Have a cup of joe, and the next thing that you know, it's time for you to hit the road. Make my day, I like it in the morning. Make my day, and even in the afternoon. Make my day, sometimes in the evening. Make my day, and even when I'm sleeping too. Make my. All right, everybody, welcome back to Make My Day. I told you I'd be back, so I'm back, and I'm back, back right here. Today we have a wonderful episode with Annie Grace of This Naked Mind and The Alcohol Experiment. She's here to talk to you about how much you've been drinking and like how you've been drinking too much, which is not good. You should cut back because much. there's all sorts of bad things, apparently, that alcohol does to your body and to your life, and I think it's actually a pretty interesting conversation. The interesting thing about it is that right now we're at the new year. Happy New Year, by the way. It's a really exciting time of the year when you decide that you want to change everything about your life and that maybe you don't like anything about your life. And it's time to start thinking about that. And a lot of things people think about, besides going to get a one-month gym membership, is to cut back on their drugs and alcohol consumption. Even though drugs and alcohol are fun and you have a ton of fun doing them, they might not be the best thing for your life and your loved ones and, you know, to be honest with you, for yourself when you're really thinking about your emotions and your capacity to be a healthy guy. So we're going to talk to Annie and hopefully get some good advice on that. And, uh, you know, I actually, we already had the interview, so I can tell you it's a good conversation. And you're going to have to trust me on that one. Also, I want to give you some tips that I've used in my life that have helped me with uh, alcohol and drinking too much because sometimes I've done it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a popcaster. I'm a popcaster. And we have to be honest with our with our listeners. And, you know, y'all are my friends. And I really appreciate that you guys are really cool and that you're great. So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and hit some sports uh, because there's a couple things to talk about. Texas Longhorns finish off a disappointing season with an impressive victory over the Utah Utes. Hopefully next year there will be greener pastures for Bevo and the Texas Longhorns. Bevo's their cow mascot. Russell Westbrook fitting in very nicely with the Houston Rockets. Exciting, exciting. Everyone loves a good basketball. Uh, yeah, other than that, sports are pretty good. I'm trying not to watch a lot of sports because it can be pretty distracting. Well, before the interview gets started, why don't we go ahead and take a couple phone calls from our listeners. Uh, listener number one, you're up. Hey, Marcus, it's Larry Danielson here. Hey. Yeah, long-time listener, long-time caller. Great. Really interested in what you're thinking about, what's going on with the stock market sure. here. Do you think that Blipcoin's going to make a turnaround mm. or a turn forward, mm-hmm. or do you think that we're going to need to go ahead and invest back into bullion Ooh. and bullion cubes Yum. and maybe make a nice investment stew, as I've heard them talk about on MSNBC? Mm-hmm. Thanks a bunch. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, Larry, if you look at Fed interest rates, I think that what you're going to want to do is definitely go back into bullion cubes. They're just pumping money into this system. They're pumping money into this system, and they have a lot of confidence that they can turn this thing around. I do think that Blipcoin has a good chance, but we saw what happened back in December 2018. That thing went bonkers. It went haywire, but then it just flopped right down. It just dropped off the face of the earth, and then it went back up a little bit. So, you know, with investing, it's really like kind of like, well, you know, two dozen and half a dozen another as they say. So I would say go ahead and stick with your current strategy and maybe mix it up if you're not sure if that's working. Thanks for the call. 
Caller number two, uh, you're on Make My Day. Hey, Marcus. It's hey. me, Tiffany McGlenn. Hey. Uh, yeah, uh, first time caller, uh, second time listener. Great. I'm really enjoying the show so far. Thank you. Uh, this one with Annie Grace so far has been really good. Thank I you. haven't heard her talk yet. Thank you. But I'm really excited to hear her talk. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, what do you think if, in terms of what would be a better drink to have for me? Sure. A, a beer or a wine mm. drink? In terms of what would be the healthy option yeah. uh, to have? Oh, okay. Thanks a bunch. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, so the important thing, Tiffany, to remember is that there is no healthy option when it comes to alcohol. Alcohol is a literal poison. You're destroying your body. Every ounce of it is a, is a, really a suicide note to your mother, to your grandfather, and to their grandfathers as well. So what I would say is wine is going to have a lower uh, metabolic impact. Beer has so much gluten that you're going to be rocketing off into cyberspace. And I would just be careful of that, especially if you're doing sort of a low-carb paleo kind of keto thing like I recommend. So yeah, let's stick with wine for today. And uh, for later tonight, maybe you can have a beer or two. So as you know, this show would not be possible without all the money that we get from our sponsors, and today's sponsor is Weed. Weed is a drug that's gonna help you heal most of your problems. In fact, it's a really good drug that uh, people are using as medicine. It's helping them with pretty much everything. Um, We've discovered we have this system called the endocannabinoid system inside of our body, which is crazy because they named cannabis, cannabis, and then they're like, oh shoot, there's this thing inside of our body called the cannabis system, cannabinoid system. Whoa, it must be the same thing that I guess we're meant to get high. This is crazy. And so it turns out that it's good for you. And I'm really happy to that there are sponsors. So start smoking weed today. Alcohol is bad for you. It makes you really sad. It's true. Smoking weed is really fun. Some people call it medicine. You should smoke pot. You should do weed. You can rub me down in CBD. We should get a Well, as I said earlier in the show, I wanted to give you a couple tips and tricks, as they say, uh, to help pull you out of your alcoholic depression. The first one I would recommend is rigorous exercise. Exercise is known to make your mood improve. It's also going to really help with your hangover. Do you have a hangover? Maybe you had a little bit too much holiday punch, uh, sangria, maybe some White Claws, uh, Bon and Viv is a really nice option. But if you had too much of that stuff, you're going to want to sweat it out. You're going to want to get your body pumping and make your body alkaline i think that's what happens uh and in that process you're also going to just feel better about yourself you're going to have done something you're going to accomplish something getting the body moving really does help make sure that you're hydrating hydrating is going to make you feel better when you feel better then you're not going to feel bad and when you feel bad you want to drink right am i are you, am i making you feel bad now don't even drink i dare you not to don't do it you're better than that So now that you've got a little bit of the exercise in your body, you're going to want to start thinking about mineralization. What does alcohol do? It makes you acidic. When you're acidic, 
your body eats itself. It takes the minerals out of your bones and your body and it starts to make you weak and stupid. So I recommend taking a mineral supplementation. I take uh, key minerals by Onnit because I like Colts and I like Aubrey Marcus and I think he's got a great Colt. And it's got a thing called molybdenum in there which actually helps break down toxic acetaldehyde in the liver. Acetaldehyde is one of the components of a hangover and it sticks around in the liver way longer than you want it to. It actually doesn't really leave the liver uh, for a very long time. I don't even know if there's a way for it to go. So if you're supplementing with molybdenum, don't take too much of it. I'm not a doctor yet, but don't take too much of it. It's gonna help a lot. It's gonna help flush that acetaldehyde out of the liver and you're gonna start feeling better about yourself. And what's the thing you do when you feel better about yourself? You start to feel good and you wanna go hang out with some people because you like laughing, you like socializing, you like connecting with people, maybe you like kissing people. That could be an aspect of social interaction too, is romance as well. So that's another thing that I think is really important in this whole equation is that you hang out with people, you have friends, and you maybe even date as well if you can boost up that confidence level. And that, you know, the step one's really helping because you're exercising, so that's awesome. Uh, one of the key components in addiction is social interaction. If you are starved for social interaction, which a lot of modern humans are, they turn to addictive behaviors. What are you doing right now? You're on your Instagram. That's an addiction. What are you doing? You're on your phone seven, eight hours a day. I'm not. It's more like four or five. That's still a lot. But if we can start to be with people, it's going to help. Johan Hari, addiction specialist guy, says that loneliness is a main cause of addiction. Once you start feeling better about yourself, put yourself out there, make some friends, have fun, talk to people. Amazing. All right, everybody, today we have Annie Grace on the show. She's the author of The Snaked Mind and also um, working on The Alcohol Experiment. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Annie, how are you doing? I'm great, Marcus. How are you? I'm really good. I'm having a, a yerba mate right now because I had coffee earlier and I'm trying to learn that caffeine, especially coffee, is really intense and it's a little bit too intense for me and kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, but I just keep going for it. So mate is a little nicer. So now I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm really happy to have you on the show. That's awesome. I am on the same journey. I have my decaf in front of me right now. What do you, what do you get out of decaf? Do you get anything out of decaf? It was just the habit replacement, really. You know, I like the taste. I like the ritual. I like the whole thing. I, um, my, (laughs) my problem is intellectually, I know where over caffeination leads me and still like almost daily i'm like well maybe it'll be fun this time <laughs> but yep. yeah it generally generally isn't fun at all and then eventually eventually i'll start <laughs> my heart will start slowing down a little bit you know um but i find it to be kind of ridiculous that like i'll do <laughs> 30 minutes of meditation um and my coffee has got my heart racing so fast that I'm like almost back to like being a regular, normal, uncaffeinated human being. So I'm really doing a lot of things that are working against themselves. It's a fun, fun, uh, fun way to live. Little human experiment. That's that's how I feel like we have to go through all this stuff and just get enough data to where we're finally like, all right, I'm, I have enough data that I'm going to make the change. Trying to force it never works. Um. Well, 
why don't we start with a couple of warm-up questions kind of you know like make it get it going get a get a little flow going here um so here's the first one that i came up with i thought that it would be really good for you i thought about you and uh and here's the question i got and the question is what's your favorite day of the week oh man i think i think um that's tough i really love all the days i mean monday we do taekwondo and so monday and wednesday we do taekwondo so those are really fun days because we start out the morning really really well saturday and sunday my kids are home from school so those are either really fun or really scary um depending on what mood they're in and what we're doing as a family i think saturday because then i know i've got the whole um the whole day we generally get up my husband makes breakfast they watch sports center and then we do something for the day like we'll go out maybe go skiing go for a walk uh stuff like that and then we still know we have the whole weekend tomorrow and i think the weekends not for the reasons the weekends used to be the most fun because i wanted to avoid work but because Mm -hmm. now you know having the kids home is is pretty fun okay here's the next question and it is somewhat related to the first question dogs or cats oh man i'm i feel like i'm straddling everything so i have dogs i've always had dogs Uh but i definitely have a place in my heart for cats my husband is seriously allergic to cats so there's no chance so there's this forbidden fruit syndrome there of like i think i want a cat more than i really do just because i can't have one Mm -hmm. but i have to say dogs because they've been they've been kind of the cornerstone for me yeah i'm kind of a dog person too i I'm getting more comfortable with cats, but they're just so, you know, they're so antisocial unless you're like already have a five year relationship with them. You know, I don't have that kind of time right now. Would you tell us about one of your favorite holiday memories? You know, it's interesting. I feel like um, every new holiday, I make a favorite memory these days. And mm. I think that's a lot to do because what I um, just remember them and I feel much more present in my life at this age. I'm 40 now. Yeah. And I really have been like, okay, this is the thing, you know? So just Thanksgiving, we were up and we were at my brother's house and all the kids were around and uh, all the cousins, there's six of them between my brother, my brothers and I, they all got upstairs and they got all their instruments out and played us songs and had their own concert they named Mm. their band electric eagles and they sang for us and it was just so bad and so good and so hilarious all at the same time so i think that's a really good one just happened so let's kind of get into what you're all about um i read this naked mind a few months ago as i was telling you before and just i've also read other books about alcohol and abstinence and things like that and this one just struck me just a completely different tone a lot of like explaining how the science works how addiction works and then a lot of like taking blame away from the the drinker or the person who's struggling with alcohol i got a lot out of it would you kind of explain your story and how how you came about writing that book yeah absolutely so i didn't I, you know, very not similar to a lot of people's stories who have kind of struggled with alcohol. I didn't drink very much for 
my young adult life. It wasn't really until I was 26 and I moved to New York City and I was the youngest vice president of this massive company. And I was actually taken aside by my boss and said, hey, Annie, why aren't you showing up at the happy hours? I was like, oh, I don't really drink. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's not the point of happy hour. The point is to like connections, be there. Like you've got to show up if you're serious about your job. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And my parents didn't drink when I was growing up. So I didn't really have a cautionary tale. So I was like, all right, sweet. Okay, I'll drink. And so I had a method, actually. It was very pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. A glass of wine and a glass of water to make sure I didn't get sort of too tipsy and embarrass myself. And um, fast forward a decade, and I was the global head of marketing for that company. I was traveling to 22 countries a year in charge of 28 countries, and I was drinking all the time. It Mm -hmm. didn't matter at at home or at work. There was definitely, I can't put my finger on it, but there were times in that journey where I would have come home and gone for a run, and I'd come home and I'd be stressed out and be like, oh, go for a run or pour a glass of wine. And over the years, pouring the glass of wine kind of took took the place of all the other wellness things I did in my life. I yeah. thought it was wellness, you know, taking care of myself, self-care. And so I I stopped going to the gym. I stopped doing these other things. And so I found myself really a decade later, um, two young boys and saying, well, wait a second, what am I doing? There was a moment uh, in London where I had been out late drinking the night before with a bunch of colleagues, and we, it was a Saturday. We'd gotten up early with the kids, my husband and I, we were living over there at the time, and we were going to take them to the London Eye, and I just was so massively hungover. I was like, okay, I'm just going to put this beer in my bag, and then I'll just like drink it before we get on the London Eye. I'll feel better. So I had it in my bag. It was this massive, huge can of beer. And we were in the line, I'd forgotten about the beer, and we're in the line to get on the thing, and it was like no... There was a big sign that bags would be checked. You know, obviously you can't bring a beer on the London Eye. Mm-hmm. So I went to like take it out of my bag and I dropped it and I ended up spilling beer. It sprayed all over both my kids. Mm. And so they were there we were, this like nice little family. But my kids are reeking of beer and just smelling so bad. And I was trying to laugh about it, but inside I was like, what am I doing? Like, where did, like, what, how did this happen? And yeah. Um, it wasn't this major rock bottom moment. I didn't go to jail. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't have anything happen like that. But I was like, this is, this is not the person I want to be. And so at that point in my journey, I really decided I was going to start to, you know, drink less. I thought it would be easy. I thought I was in the driver's seat. I thought I was totally in control Mm -hmm. and it wasn't easy. I did not find it easy. And so the book really sprang from that journey of, of not finding it easy and trying to figure out why, why isn't it easy? Why did I used to be a take it or leave it drinker? And why now when I, when I decide not to drink, I can do it, but I sure feel like I'm missing out. When I noticed I was like drinking more than I wanted to, any attempt to like insert discipline like created a um, inverted response, like not not the response I wanted. Yep. And um, and like I said, the reading your book was the first time I was like, oh, these are kind of the mechanics of what's going on. So would you explain like the chemical process in the brain when someone consumes alcohol over a period of time? Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said, I've never, I've never phrased it that way, but inverted response is just so spot on and genius. And really what happens, I mean, there's so many things happening. There's a psychological level and there's a physical level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the physical level, we'll touch on that first because it's just absolutely fascinating. And it's like, how do we not know this stuff? But for instance, if you have a drink 
Um, it increases your blood alcohol content or your BAC. And so we kind of know about that because of DUIs and you have to blow in the breathalyzer. But one of the things we don't realize is that alcohol is one of those strange substances that is both a depressant and a stimulant at the same time. Mm -hmm. And how that works is when your BAC is rising after that drink, your BAC will rise for 20 to 30 minutes and that gives you those stimulating feelings. So that's kind of the, the tipsiness. That's the little bit of fuzz around the edges. That's the lack of inhibitions. That's kind of that oh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this a little bit. Mm -hmm. And those are, are pretty pleasant feelings. That's what hooks us, right? And so that's about 20 to 30 minutes. But then what you don't realize is that your BAC then starts to fall because your body says, no, 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 intruder, toxin, poison, got to get it out. In fact, interesting fact, your liver will actually and stop doing anything else and your gut will stop digesting food in order to first detoxify your body from that drink. So mm. all your other processes and systems actually stop because it's such a vital thing for your body to remove the alcohol as quickly as possible. Wow. And it becomes more and more efficient at that over time, which is what we know is tolerance. It's just your body becoming more efficient at defending itself from this intruder that is alcohol. So anyway, that was a tangent. But then the BAC is risen a little bit. It starts to fall after 20 to 30 minutes as your body like starts to really remove the alcohol from your body and a BAC falling is where the depressant effects of alcohol kick in mm. and that's like uneasiness anxiety feeling not comfortable in your own skin feeling fatigued feeling tired feeling stressed and what do we do 20 to 30 minutes after our first drink is we feel that we don't associate it with the alcohol is actually making me feel worse our brain does not make that connection we just think, okay, we need another drink. And so we take another drink and allow our BAC to continue to rise, which it can do until the point which you're totally intoxicated and then you're just miserable anyway, um, weepy, drunk, stuff like that, or to a point where you're falling asleep and then you're sleeping through um, the depressant effect. I mean, the real kicker here though, Marcus, is that for 20 to 30 minutes of your BAC rising, you have two to three hours of your BAC falling. So you oh basically God. traded 20 to it's for two to three hours and that's that's one of those things that's just like whoa when you know that you're like whoa what and then um that inverted uh response syndrome is is really interesting and that has much more to do with the fact that we we create this our brains like i could use a story with my one-year-old daughter right she loves markers and colored pens and sometimes she has them in places she shouldn't have them so if i go and she has a mark in her in her hand and i try to take it from her she will grab it tighter and pull back yeah <laughs> she will be like no 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 and and that's what happens but if i try to distract her and give her something else she'll forget all about the marker in general and that's how we work right so if we go and say okay there's something you want and i'm going to say don't have that i'm going to take that away from you we cling we say no i want the thing i can't have it's the forbidden fruit syndrome and so we really feel this drive and attachment to it that feels very very real whereas if we go and we make this empowered choice and really understand things like i just explained about bac and then your brain says huh do i want that do i want to change 20 to 30 minutes for of you know up for two to three hours of down you know what i i don't want that and then all of a sudden you you don't have that I'm going to grab this marker as tight as I can feeling because you've made a different, it isn't something you want. But anytime we try to take away something we've decided provides a benefit or we want, like the brain will cling. So you have this, you create this whole internal conflict 
within within yourself. Also, another process that you described in the book was building up the the dopamine relationship with every time you drink, and then the dynorphin, right, that continues to make you lower and lower and lower, so that over time you have to drink more to get back to a comparable level of enjoyment. Yeah, this is so. I I actually was with a few. Um, people who are just going into college recently. And I was like, I had a captive audience. I was like, all right, you guys are my cousins and their friends. I was like, I need to tell you the three things I wish I would have known about alcohol before I went to college. Mm-hmm. And um, this was the other one was this idea. So what makes what makes things addictive? A big part of it is because they overstimulate dopamine in the brain. So there's a artificial release of dopamine in the brain. And that, you know, it can feel good, certainly, but it's artificial releasing dopamine it's also artificially stimulating your brain's pleasure centers Mm -hmm. and when that happens your brain says okay wait a second my number one job is to keep this very delicate machine between the ears in balance it's homeostasis i have to keep it in balance and so if there's an artificial lift on one chemical in the brain the brain says no 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 that's not going to be healthy or right so i'm going to release a counter chemical and that counter chemical is called dynorphin and dynorphin sounds familiar even though you may have never heard of it because it's the opposite of endorphins Mm. so if you think of what is the opposite of endorphin it's dynorphin and it makes you feel bad the the problem is that dynorphin very similar to like how long it takes for alcohol to detoxify from your body it can stay in your body much longer than the alcohol because it's a, a chemical that your brain releases and so If you drink on a regular basis, you're going to have these ever-present levels of dynorphin in your brain. And it will, dynorphin reduces your ability to feel pleasure. And that's what it does is because if your pleasure centers are artificially overstimulated, your brain will try to counteract that to bring you back to normal so that you can function. And dynorphin does that by reducing your ability to feel pleasure. The problem, the biggest problem, one of the many problems, I guess, is that it doesn't do that specifically to alcohol. It does that to everything. So for me, when I was trying to drink less and I would be like, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight out with my girlfriends. I had this feeling of not having as much fun because I wasn't drinking. Mm-hmm. And I had the psychological aspect of just like my, brain, my the beliefs about alcohol, certainly. But then I also had this chemical aspect where because I had built up such a level of tolerance to alcohol and that dynorphin tolerance to the overstimulation of pleasure, mm-hmm. I was no longer able to experience the same level of pleasure that I was before I was drinking regularly. Yeah. And so you cannot numb selectively. You can't numb your stress without numbing your pleasure. And so alcohol actually over time diminishes your brain's natural ability to experience pleasure from normal things, hanging out with your girlfriends, going to a concert, going to a sporting event, you know, walk, going for a walk, all of these things that naturally bring us this nice level of pleasure don't register anymore because of how tolerant our brains have become and how much they're trying to protect ourselves from the amount that we're drinking. And when I heard, when I read that, I was just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like how uh, devious of a process. (laughs) It's pretty intense. Um, It's mind blowing. It's like, how do do you not know this? And then we wonder why people are so miserable unless they're drinking. And then eventually like the end of the spectrum is that people like it doesn't even, even the alcohol can't break through the barriers that your brain has naturally built around that extra stimulation. And so at the end of the spectrum, 
you're not even happy drinking. Yeah. So you're miserable even when you're drinking. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's really sobering to talk about, you know, pun somewhat intended, but the, the link between alcohol and suicide is huge. I believe the latest statistic I read is that 70% of suicides have alcohol in the system at the time of death. And so you think about, okay, well, where is this train going? If I'm numbing my ability to just feel normal pleasures in my life, it's, you know, eventually alcohol and depression, that link is massive, you know, alcohol and anxiety. Those things are just huge. There's not really a question that, um, those are completely intrinsically linked. And then we sit there and wonder, well, why then is alcohol so deeply involved in suicide? Well, it's just the end of the train. And so in your process, you found a significant amount of happiness without alcohol, right? Yeah, actually. And it's funny because I have, quote, proof, right? So I could sit here and tell you, like, I feel happier, even euphoric on a really regular basis. I will also tell you that I have really low days too. I have days where there's lots of tears, but I feel all the spectrum of the emotions. Yeah. So I think the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Um, but I feel it all and I'm present for it all and I remember it all. But then equally, and this is kind of the proof, quote unquote, is that I was on three to four different medications for depression and anxiety during my drinking years. I was on four when I stopped drinking and um, escitalopram, Wellbutrin, Xanax and Ambien actually to sleep. And mm. uh, I was able in the 18 months after I stopped drinking, I was able to, with my doctor's help, wean myself off all those medications. And I've not had been on any medication whatsoever besides, you know, natural sort of organic vitamins and supplements for the last, I think it's been three and a half years now. So that's like pretty awesome. I've been seeing your emails about the alcohol experiment. Could you tell us about this, what what you guys are working on? Yeah, this is so cool for me because I think what happened to me, it was so random how this all kind of transpired, but I was reading some reviews on This Naked Mind and one of the reviews was from this guy and he was like, I read this book for my brother and now I don't even like beer. I don't know if I'll ever drink again. Five stars. And I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many people. And I, I, I saw it in my own life too. I saw so many people who weren't even at the point of questioning their drinking but who I could tell alcohol was impacting their life. Uh And I was like, if they just had this information, but this is never going to be the person who's going to go actively Google a book about drinking. So I was like, how how can we lower the barrier to entry to this conversation? How can we make it mainstream? And at the same time, I had a woman reach out to me who was doing the Whole30, and she was just like, thank you so much. I couldn't get through the Whole30 because of the alcohol until I came across your book. And I was like, oh, wow, like there's such an appetite for challenges. Like, what if we just did a 30-day challenge But the problem with 30-day challenges when it comes to drinking is sort of twofold. Number one is that forbidden fruit thing that we were talking about. If you give up alcohol for 30 days and miss it for 30 days, Mm -hmm. day 31, you're going to be like, okay, bring it on because you've just been creating the forbidden fruit syndrome. Yeah. And, you know, really number two is that if you don't have sort of a mindset shift during, during this time period then all you've done is you've just proven to yourself, okay, like I did every time I got pregnant, I'd be like, okay, I obviously, alcohol isn't a problem for me because I can stop drinking yeah. for nine months. So I've, I've ticked that box, I've proven it to myself. The, the funny thing about that though, is like, 
we're asking the wrong question, right? We're saying, okay, since I can stop, alcohol must not be a problem. We're not asking the question, like, how much happier, more present, more peaceful, more alive could I be if I, if I stop drinking? And the alcohol experiment is really challenging people to ask that question. Like, how much more present, happy, peaceful, alive could I be? I don't know. So let me experiment and find out. It's not a lifelong commitment. It's 30 days. Just like dip a toe and see how it goes for you. And then every single day in the 30 days, I deliver some of the information, like I've just told you on this podcast, that really helps people see the truth about alcohol and then go to make a really mindful decision going forward. And no matter where you want to go after the experiment, there's a path to like try moderation if you want to do that, if you want to go back right back to where you were. But a lot of people, they're like, you know, I want to go another 30 days or I want to go another 60 days or, you know, a, a good amount of people are like, you know, forget that. Like, I'm just done. <laughs> I know what I know now. I can't, I can't go back and they don't want to. And that's the best part. Because the truth is, we don't do anything we don't feel like doing for any period of time. We can do things we don't feel like doing in a very short term, but our willpower will always run out. And so we need to get new information so that we feel like very authentically making a different choice. And it's not sort of brainwashing. It's more like, look, there's things you didn't know about the thing you drink more than any other liquid. Let, let's just explore them together and then make your own choice. And it's it's very much not scary because I'm not sitting there like forcing a bunch of like, and it causes cancer, which it does. But I'm not I'm not like <laughs> doing that stuff. But I'm you know really just sort of trying to empower people through through education. Mm-hmm. It's about wanting to do something rather than being a afraid of doing it <laughs> yeah fear is not a long-term motivator it's definitely a good short-term motivator but it is not a long-term motivator well annie um i'm really happy that you came on the show i i'm very happy that you exist um <laughs> yeah thanks so much for all your work it's it's really amazing i feel i feel really lucky to have found it so thank you so much yeah. Um, I really appreciate that. And it's just such an honor to be here. So thank you. Do you want to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the best thing, if you're curious about the alcohol experiment, that is at alcoholexperiment.com. And then if you are curious about like a little more, like if you're already ready to like, okay, I actually want to change this, um, that would be at thisnakedmind.com. Awesome. Well, Annie, thanks for being on today. All right, great. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Well, that's going to have to do it for Make My Day. I really appreciate you guys listening to this one. As you might have gathered, this is a special subject for me. It's something that I have had struggles with, uh, but I think it's been something that I've grown a lot through also. And if you're having a hard time, uh, you can reach out to me uh, in various ways on Instagram or make my day show at gmail.com whatever you want uh yeah you know just you, you know i love you guys i love you and thanks for listening uh i do want to say i'm releasing my record the meantime uh it's an ep four songs it's coming out january 24th 2020 really excited about that you'll definitely hear about that if you're following me and also uh, playing at the Knitting Factory February 3rd. So, guys, uh, keep in touch. I can't wait to hear from you. I can't wait to hear what you think about everything. And I love you so much. I love you so much. And I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye.
Wake up in the morning, make you two sloppy eggs. Find a piece of cheese and put it on some bread. Have a cup of joe, and the next thing that you know, it's time for you to hit the road. Make my day, I like it in the morning. Make my day, and even in the afternoon. Make my day, sometimes in the evening. Make my day, and even when I'm sleeping too. Make my. You cannot numb selectively. You can't numb your stress without numbing your pleasure.